Welcome to Creation, Myth, or Miracle. This is your host, ex-atheist Richard Walker. Hello and welcome to today's show. As we continue to ask the question, is there really evidence for the Creator in the creation around us? Or was Paul in the book of Romans just plain wrong? Well, perhaps some of you saw this very recent headline just the last day or so. Ice blasting test proves that comet impacts can spark life's ingredients. The NBC News article said, During a series of experiments spanning almost a year, Price, Goldman, and their colleagues mixed up a batch of pristine water and carbon dioxide ice that was laced with ammonium hydroxide and methanol, two key compounds found in comets. They then loaded sterilized steel balls into a light gas gun and fired the projectiles at the ice at a velocity of up to 16,000 miles per hour. They also fired the balls at a different block of ice without the added chemicals as a control for the experiment. After the blast, scientists immediately heated up the ice so that it evaporated away, leaving a chemical residue. Okay, now within the chemical residue, they found several amino acids. And they didn't find any amino acids in the control ice, so they conclude that the additional chemicals are the key to the reaction, and that the amino acids weren't the result of contamination. Now, what isn't mentioned here, but maybe elsewhere, is that the amino acids were not strictly left-handed. And so, see our September 4th show for information about the fact that life actually doesn't work if you have amino acids that are both left and right-handed, and all naturalistic means of creating these amino acids always produce that type of a mixture. But they did find amino acids. Well, suppose you saw a headline that said, Hail Erosion Test proves that weather can create Mount Rushmore's presidents. And the article claims, We observe that hail can break off a piece of the mountain, and the president's heads were built by removing pieces of the mountain, so therefore we have discovered a building block of the process that formed the president's heads on Mount Rushmore. How credible do you think that reasoning really is? Well, if we're going to talk about life and building blocks for life, we need to think about what life is. Life is characterized by information, enormous quantities of very specific complex information, some of which is contained within a digitally coded storage medium, DNA. We know that other components of this information exist and control the usage of the info in the DNA. We don't really know where all this other info is stored. The exploding field of epigenetics is exploring this. Well, how much information and what kind of information are we talking about? Years ago, Dr. Michael Denton, an MD and geneticist, likened a single cell to an entire city. So let's consider Boston. Now think of all the factories, power plants, power distribution stations, railways, airlines, freeways, streets, internet, phone lines, trucks bringing in material, trucks taking out products, etc. All of the material and information flow in and out of Boston. Also the police force to protect against invaders. Now consider the detailed specifications for building each factory, power plant, distribution station, railway, airplane, freeway, etc. 
as well as the operations manual for coordinating all of this. This picture begins to approximate the info in a single cell. Uh, wait a minute. I'm wrong. It doesn't even begin to approximate what a cell is. We also need to specify how to do the following. In addition to everything else, Boston must be able to replicate itself and in the process make new cities. And these new cities must be able to differentiate themselves into Cambridge, Quincy, Waltham, Burlington, Lowell, Milford, and unfortunately even New York City. You see, living cells replicate and don't just make perfect copies of themselves, they also differentiate into all the different cell and tissue types of a living creature. And all of this differentiation is controlled not only spatially across the entire organism, but in time also through the development cycle of the creature. Absolutely an astonishing type of coordination that we barely are beginning to understand at this point. There, I think that is a more complete picture, but still inadequate. All right, let's think a bit more about the information in life. We see patterns in nature. For example, a checkerboard pattern of lattice points could define the squares of a Scrabble board. But the information in the letters on the Scrabble board that form interlocking words is coded information. It's very different than just regular lattice points. Now suppose that the Scrabble board had millions of squares on each side and the letters on it contained all the information for specifying Boston as we discussed before the break. You get the picture? Now I come along and say, I found a rock containing some simple cubic crystals of pyrite and since these crystals are shaped like a cube, I could build a Scrabble board from them. So I found a building block for the city of Boston. Just how significant is my find to understanding how Boston got built in the first place? The confusion is about the material used to hold and convey information and the information itself. You're listening to these words. At least I hope you're listening. Your ears are sensing pressure waves in the air, and your entire hearing mechanism is understanding these sound waves as words. Furthermore, these words are in the English language and in a sequence with voice inflection and timing to hopefully make them understandable. All these features together convey meaningful information as entire groups of sentences. Now, if I explain to you that by hitting a hammer on a door, I can create sound waves in the air. Have I explained to you the source of the information that you're hearing? The news has a constant stream of discoveries that claim to shed light on the origin of life, but they are always only about potential physical building blocks that are used in life to hold and convey information. There are no such discoveries that explain the source of the information itself. Furthermore, based upon information science, we know that information only comes from information. So that should guide our research. There was more about this in our September 4th show. For now, let's just remember that these news discoveries of the building blocks of life 
are never about the information that actually defines life, but rather only the medium upon which the information is written. They say nothing about the actual source of information or who or what may have done the writing. To get into our next subject, I need to first clarify something about intelligent design. It is very often and very erroneously claimed that intelligent design is nothing but an argument from ignorance. Opponents claim that intelligent design proponents are essentially saying, for example, Darwinian evolution cannot explain the origin of the type of information we see within living things, therefore an intelligent source did so. That would be a classical argument from ignorance. However, that is not what ID proponents say. Instead, what they say is, in our observations of the world around us, we see that information of the type that we observe within living things is always produced from intelligence, and therefore, using the technique inference to the best explanation, we conclude that the best explanation is an intelligent source for the information in life. By the way, inference to the best explanation, that's precisely the methodology that Darwin used, and it's frequently used within science to reach conclusions. Now, this has been clarified ad nauseum by ID proponents, and it continues to be ignored by ID opponents, deliberately so. It's a whole lot easier to argue against the argument from ignorance than it is to actually address the content of the arguments in favor of intelligent design. Now think about Mount Rushmore. Consider the following. From what we know in physics and what we observe at the mountain, we can determine that it's virtually impossible that purely unguided natural forces of erosion cause the president's heads to appear. However, we have also observed an intelligent cause, in this case humans, carve similar designs into rock as sculpture. Now are we allowed to then reason as follows? Of all known possible causes for the president's heads on Mount Rushmore, the best cause is a sculptor. That is precisely the reasoning method used within ID, inference to the best explanation. Now the reason I'm bringing this up at this point is because of what has occurred very recently at Ball State University. Yet another attempt to completely squash any opportunity for you, the student, to see the evidence about intelligent design and reach conclusions for yourself. Back at the end of July, Ball State University President Joanne Gora issued a statement referring to intelligent design as religion, not science. She said, Intelligent design is overwhelmingly deemed by the scientific community as a religious belief and not a scientific theory. Therefore, intelligent design is not appropriate content for science classes. Well, first notice the argument from consensus. Joanne Gora provided absolutely no reasoning for why intelligent design is a religious belief and not a scientific theory other than the scientific community says so. We've discussed the fallacious argument from consensus earlier, so I won't belabor it here. Well, what horrific crime occurred to cause this pronouncement? 
Ball State University physics professor Eric Heaton teaches a seminar titled The Boundaries of Science. It's an interdisciplinary honors seminar. Well, did he attack his students or bully them or promote religion or creationism or something like that? Well, no. The Freedom from Religion Foundation complained to President Gore in May that he was teaching intelligent design. But what do actual students of the course have to say? One student said, The sole content of Heaton's lectures involved the life cycle of stellar bodies and the Big Bang Theory. Most of the course, meanwhile, was spent in discussion with small groups on topics such as the nature of time and reality, the definition of truth, whether there were categories of life, and the fine-tuning of universal parameters for life to exist. According to the student, these conversations were fascinating, engaging, and challenging in the best of ways. Never once did I personally hear any complaints from my fellow students. On the contrary, the mood was always positive. We enjoyed stretching our minds. Dr. Heaton was always respectful and kind. Well, that's just one student. Uh, how about some other voices that were actually in the classroom? A second student posted the following. This is a science class, one of the multiple of science classes chosen by honor students. Yes, we get a choice on which discipline we want to study, and yes, honors classes are very liberal in letting the students assist in deciding the semester's curriculum. Nobody forces us to study the subject. The theological aspect of the class is purely discussion-based, and we study astrophysics and astronomy for a large portion of the class as well. The professor posed an unbiased question for us students to debate intelligently, I might add, and thus we further our understandings of the possibilities of the universe. The only time the professor even delves into the students' debates is to refute any arguments that are just blatantly incorrect, do not consider all the possibilities, or seem derogatory and opinionated in nature, much like the arguments posed by the people who are generating this tirade against Professor Heaton. I'm an agnostic, and I find absolutely nothing wrong with his teachings. As far as intelligent and thought-provoking discussions go, it is one of the most innovative classes I have had during my time at Ball State. I lean more towards scientific evidence than anything else, but being an intelligent, curious, and open-minded individual, I appreciate all the discussions that this class has had and all of the new ideas I have come to understand. There is nothing wrong with this class, and I would recommend it to anyone, no matter what their religious beliefs are. This student then notices that most of those complaining about the course have never taken it. He writes, Please do not blindly state that the class focuses on, quote, creation and Christianity and nothing else, end quote, when you have not even taken the class yourself and are only saying that to support your own pedantic arguments. This class is a wonderful example of the thought-provoking discussions we have in Ball State's honors classes. So please excuse me if I seem a bit too derisive of those of you who have not taken the course. Well, I guess BSU students can kiss goodbye any further opportunities to learn to think for themselves, to stretch their minds by engaging in open and thought-provoking discussions. Let's face it, this just shows yet again that evolutionists will do anything they can 
to prevent the discussion of the evidence for ID rather than make any attempt to deal with the substance of the arguments. In other words, they prefer censorship to scholarship. By the way, if you want to see people rail against something they've never even seen or read or understand, just read the reviews of any book that dares to challenge evolution. Let's take a look at what academic freedom means at Ball State University by examining what has happened since the complaint about what Professor Eric Heaton was supposedly teaching. An ad hoc investigative committee was thrown together containing people who are absolute opponents of intelligent design, actually affiliated with NCSE in some cases, and this committee is supposed to evaluate what was going on in the classroom. Well, okay, what's wrong with that? Well, Eric Kelly wrote the following in the Muncie Star Press, which is BSU's hometown paper. In the shared governance system at the university, the faculty, not the administration, is responsible for academic matters ranging from the content of courses through the requirements to earn a particular degree. The governance and administrative systems include mechanisms to deal with course content. If a faculty member deviates significantly from the approved course description, that is a matter for the department chairman to review, and if necessary, to discuss with the department curriculum committee. If they fail to deal with a real issue, the college dean can and should perhaps intervene. None of this appears to have happened in the Heaton case. Joshua Youngkin comments on this at Evolution News. Why care what Murphy and Kelly say about rules, procedures, and academic freedom? Kelly is a lawyer and professor who formerly chaired the Ball State University Senate, the faculty body that BSU administration sidestepped in order to conduct its own investigation of Dr. Heaton. Daniel Murphy, who also had written in the Muncie Star Press that Ball State was failing to follow proper procedures, is a professor at another Indiana institution and a member of Committee A on Academic Freedom and Tenure, Indiana Conference, of the American Association of University Professors. The AAUP gives us the academic freedom statements upon which nearly all faculty handbooks in the country are built. The slickest way for administrators to dodge the requirements of academic freedom is to dodge the faculty handbook, which is what BSU has done, as Kelly and Murphy point out. Meanwhile, BSU has another interesting honors seminar titled Dangerous Ideas. The Discovery Institute is asking BSU to investigate this class because, as they write, the sole textbook used in the course is an anthology edited by a prominent atheist in which the authors assert that, quote, science must destroy religion. That there is no God no intelligent designer, no higher purposes to our lives, and even that scientists should function as our society's, quote, high priests. This book contains an afterword by atheist evangelist Richard Dawkins, author of The God Delusion. So the evidence seems to be pretty clear that academic freedom at BSU is equated to present only the naturalistic viewpoint. Now, this is classic Orwellian doublespeak. 
doublespeak at Wikipedia is defined as language that deliberately disguises, distorts, or reverses the meaning of words. Doublespeak may take the form of euphemisms, for example, downsizing for layoffs, or servicing the target for bombing, in which case these euphemisms are primarily meant to make the truth sound more palatable. It may also refer to intentional ambiguity in language or to actual inversions of meaning. For example, naming a state of war, quote, peace. In such cases, doublespeak disguises the nature of truth. Doublespeak is most closely associated with political language. This is an incredibly appropriate description of what's going on in the pronouncements of the president at Ball State University. Speaking of doublespeak, did you know that evolution has an explanation for whatever data is provided? If similar structures in creatures are believed to be due to common ancestry, then that is called homology. So, for example, the very similar bone structure of human arms and ape arms are considered an example of homology. They look the same because we inherited that particular design, if you will, from a common ancestor. However, if the current evolution story would not allow for a common ancestor to be the source of a particular trait, which happens to be very similar across different creatures, then it's not homology, it's convergent evolution. And the classic example of that is powered flight using wings. Flying insects, birds, and bats are all supposed to have evolved winged flight independently. They converged on this useful trait. So similarity of form and function is either evidence of common ancestry or not, depending upon the current evolution story. And occasionally, particular features move from homology to convergent evolution or back. Now, it gets interesting. If it's convergent evolution, since this is supposed to be driven by unguided random mutations, the evolutionists expect the mutations that happen to create the similar structure to themselves be quite different. That is, the mutations should be different. Now, bats and dolphins both have biological sonar with a lot of similarities in function. But these traits must have evolved convergently and not be a homology from a common ancestor. Unfortunately for evolutionists, once we look closely at the genetic underpinnings of echolocation, it turns out to have phenomenal similarity at the genetic level. In fact, recent research has identified 200 genetic similarities that correlate closely with the ability to echolocate. Joe Parker, the lead author of the story, wrote, A few dozen would probably have surprised us. These results give us an idea that in some circumstances, the solutions natural selection happens upon can be similar in unrelated animals right down to the molecular level. A recent article at Answers in Genesis comments on this. Evolutionary scientists ignore, however, a third alternative, a common designer. Common designs do not imply that either common evolutionary ancestry or convergent evolutionary development must have been involved. Common designs, whether in grossly visible phenotype, that's body type, or at the level of the genome, are exactly what we would expect from a common designer. 
and that common designer is the creator god of the Bible. Dr. Georgia Purdome, molecular geneticist with AIG, comments, As always, the evolutionists give credit to natural selection and mutations, which just happen to come up with the same solution in both organisms. This is completely ludicrous when you consider the sheer number of genes involved. Just as common designs are used in engines to power motorcycles, cars, and airplanes, God used a common design to allow bats and dolphins to echolocate. The article continues, This research has made an elegant beginning at revealing not evolutionary history, but the intricate design evident in creation, even at the genetic level. So once again, the Apostle Paul is proven correct. The evidence of God is made apparent to us in his creation, so that man is without excuse. See creationmythormiracle.com for more info.